Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, God gives Israel victory over the Amalekites, Moses and his family reunite, and his father-in-law gives him some advice, relying on God's power, delegating, and setting up the court system. Exodus 17 and 18. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. I'm running a little behind getting the written study out on the website, so I'll let y'all know whenever I get that done in case you want it. Last week, we talked about what it was like for the Israelites right after they crossed the Red Sea and were free and how God taught them to depend on him for their everyday food and water. And if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it because we did talk a lot about how God provides for us and what it looks like to depend on God fully for the things that we need and how sometimes he puts us in that position in order for us to learn how to depend on him. And then we also talked about being fed spiritually and how we can grow and be healthy in a spiritual sense too. So you might want to listen to that one if you happen to miss it. This week, they're just moving on in their journey in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And we'll just be talking about several events in the coming episodes that they deal with on their journey. So let's go ahead and read Exodus 17, 8 to 16. It says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Okay, so Amalek was Esau's grandson. And Esau was the brother of Jacob, 
who is the father of the Israelites. God changed Jacob's name to Israel, and he and Esau were twin brothers. And so Amalek is the descendant of Esau, and the Israelites are descendants of Jacob. So these are relatives of the Israelites, and they should not have been coming out to fight them, but they do. And so when the Amalekites come out to fight the Israelites, Moses tells Joshua to lead the army to fight these people. Now, this is a first mention of Joshua, who is the leader that will later secede Moses. And so he becomes a sort of apprentice to Moses all throughout this journey because he's learning how to be a leader from Moses. But right now, he's leading the army. This is also the first mention of her. And he seems to be a friend of Aaron's and someone that they rely on to help them in several situations. So Joshua is fighting this battle and Moses is standing on the top of the hill with the staff of God in his hand. The same staff that turned into a snake, the same one that he used to do a lot of the plagues in Egypt, and the same one that he used to part the Red Sea and to strike the rock that we talked about last week that gave them water. And this staff has no special powers. It is just the symbol of God's power. And so when he holds up the symbol of God's power, it shows God's personal involvement in this battle with them. And so as long as he was holding this staff up, then the Israelites were winning. But when he got tired and he started to lower the staff, then the Amalekites started to win. And so her and Aaron went and got a large stone for Moses to sit on. And then each of them held up one of his arms so that he could keep the staff in the air for the entire battle. They had this staff there to remind the Israelites that God was involved. He was fighting for them and that the victory was going to come from him. And so they still had to fight, but God was going to bring the victory. The result was all dependent on God. They might have been doing the action, but it didn't matter how good of warriors they were. All that mattered was whether they were relying on God's power or their own power. The result was in God's hands, even though the people were actually doing the action. And so Moses held it up until the end of the battle, and they did defeat the Amalekites. And after the battle was over, God told Moses I will eventually wipe them completely out because they came out against you. And he told Moses, write this down. It's that important. I want everyone to remember what I said about the Amalekites for generations to come. So yes, this shows us God's power in a physical battle, but it also shows us the power that he has in our lives to help us fight our battles. We're all going to face battles in our lives. And sometimes God is going to completely fight for us just the way he did for the Israelites previously, because previously all they had to do was just go announce the plagues to Pharaoh and then God took care of the rest. And when he brought them out of Egypt, all they really had to do was go. He kicked them out. He made the path for them. All of the things that needed to happen with the Egyptians, God did. All he asked them to do was walk. And Moses even told them before the splitting of the Red Sea, this is chapter 14, verse 
13 and 14, Moses said, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will not see again forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. So at that time, God was the one doing the fighting and they really just needed to be still. They didn't do any of the fighting. And so sometimes it'll be like that for us when God says, all I need you to do is just follow me. Just go through the path that I make for you. Just do the things that I ask for you to do. But all of the fighting is going to be on me. I'm going to remove all of the obstacles, protect you from the enemy, make them do what I want them to do. All of those things. All I need you to do is just follow me. Our battles may be like that. Some of them may be like that. But some of our battles may be like this, where God says, I actually want you to fight, but it's not going to depend on your power. It doesn't matter if you have the right words, if you have all the good resources, all of those types of things don't matter. The only thing that matters is whether you rely on my power or your own. And so what we need to know is either way, the victory is not ours. It doesn't come from our own abilities. It's always God's power and we always have to rely on his power. And we just have to determine whether he wants us to fight and rely on him for the results or if he wants us to be still and just follow him and allow him to do the fighting. But we always know that it's of God's power and not our own. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the one that gives the victory. Okay, so let's move on. This is an entirely different subject, but we can't make one entire lesson very easily off of the second half of chapter 17. And so we're going to move on to a different subject. And I'm going to read the first 12 verses of chapter 18. It says, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land, And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in this very thing in which they have behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, 
took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Okay, so at some point after they initially left Midian, Moses sent his wife and his sons back to Midian with his father-in-law. So we know that his family left Midian initially with him because in the story of their journey in Exodus 4, it tells us that Moses had failed to circumcise one of his sons and Zipporah actually did it for him so that God wouldn't be angry with him. So we know they were with him then, but we never hear about them again. So most likely he got there and realized this is going to be too big of a battle and I don't want my family involved in it. I really need to focus on delivering these people and not have to worry about my family. And so he sends them back to Jethro to stay and keep them safe so that he could focus on what he was doing. And now Jethro has gotten word that they are out of Egypt and safe. And so he is bringing Zipporah and their two sons back to him. Now, Gershom, we've already heard about. Right after they got married, it basically just says in like two verses, it says Moses married Zipporah and they had a son named Gershom. So we assume that he was born fairly quickly after they got married. But it never says anything about a second son until now. And so we have no idea when Eliezer was born. He could have been the second son that was circumcised on their way because it doesn't give the name of the son that he failed to circumcise. So it could have been then. The only time that Eliezer is mentioned is here and in the genealogies. And then it says that his name means God my help. And it says that he named him that because God had delivered him from the sword of Pharaoh. And so some think that he named him after he was delivered from this Pharaoh, after they were delivered from Egypt. But that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because she was gone. So I believe that he's talking about the Pharaoh that he ran away from whenever he went to Midian in the first place. Remember, he killed a Egyptian for beating a Hebrew and the Pharaoh there found out about it and sought to kill him. And so he ran away from Egypt and ran to Midian and married this woman. So I think that that's the Pharaoh that God delivered him from being killed by. And so most likely both of these boys were born to him in Midian and the whole family came back with him. And then he realized this is a big deal and sent them all back to Jethro until everything was over. But either way, regardless of when this son was born, we do know that he had two sons and that his family had just come to meet him. And when Moses meets with Jethro, he tells Jethro everything that has happened. And it says that Jethro was so excited that he praised God and offered sacrifices to him. Now, if you'll remember, the Midianites were descendants of Abraham. When Sarah died, Abraham married a woman named Keturah. And the Midianites are from that lineage. So being from Abraham's family, I believe Jethro knew the Lord. It says in verse 11, 
Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. And some people take that to mean that he may have worshipped other gods in Midian. And now he's just now convinced that this God is the best God. I personally think that he worshipped their God. He offered sacrifices to their God and praised their God. And I think he has always known God and worshiped him. I think what he's saying here is the same thing that God told Moses about their fathers previously. If you remember before Moses ever went to Pharaoh and asked for him to deliver the Israelites, God told him, I told your descendants who I was, but they never knew me by the same name that you're going to know me by because they never experienced me. You're going to know me by the name that shows my power. Basically, you're going to know me by experiencing my power. And they never got to experience it. They just had head knowledge mostly of who I was. I told them what I could do, but they never saw it. And I think that's what Jethro is saying here. I've known all along who God was, but I've never seen his power until now. And so he has really proven to me who he is and what he can do. That's what I think. We do find out later on when Aaron's grandsons are grown that the Midianites do worship Baal. But that's a good distance of time from this moment. And so I believe either they did not worship Baal at this time and they were still close enough to the lineage of Abraham that they were worshiping the God of Abraham or at the least Jethro was still worshiping the God of Abraham at this time. Again, regardless of the exact details on what all of the Midianites did, Jethro believes in God because of all the things that Moses tells him, and he offers a sacrifice to God and praises God, and the elders of Israel join him in eating this sacrifice. So they must feel that he is worshiping their God and a believer, or they wouldn't be doing that. Okay, so let's move on to the rest of chapter 18, beginning in verse 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit? And all the people stand before you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that they may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and let them judge the people at all times. 
Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall themselves judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will go to their place in peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of Israel, and made them heads over the people, rulers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times. The hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own land. So Jethro stayed there with Moses, and he immediately saw that the responsibility that his son-in-law had taken on towards these people was way too much. There's no way that one man can judge between millions of men by himself. And this has become a full-time job for Moses, because it says he's doing this from morning until night. And Jethro knows that this is not a sustainable way to rule this nation. This is a growing nation, and there's no way that this is going to work long term. And so he told him, you are going to have to delegate. There's just no way around it. As their leader, Moses' real first priority needed to be teaching the people God's laws and God's ways so that they could follow him. And if he spent all of his time judging individual situations, then he wasn't going to be able to lead the people collectively at all. That ends up being the issue because he says you can bring the difficult things to God and you can teach the statutes and the laws and show them the way that God wants them to walk and the work that they must do. But only if you're not dealing with people individually. If you think about it, if he's just talking to each person individually and saying, yeah, this is what you should have done. And you're the one that's right. And you're the one that's wrong. And this is how you handle it next time. And then sending them away and just doing that over and over again with one or two at a time. He's never able to set out all the laws and the ways to all the people. I want to read you in Deuteronomy, where they talk about this happening. The entire book of Deuteronomy is Moses relaying everything that has happened to the Israelites before they go into the promised land, because he is not going to be able to go into the promised land with them. And so he recounts everything that has already happened and reminds them of everything he wants them to do and everything he's taught them before they go into the promised land. So this is Deuteronomy 1, 9 to 18. This is Moses talking to the people. And he says, And I spoke to you at that time, saying, I alone am not able to bear you. The Lord your God has multiplied you. And here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I alone bear the problems and your burdens and your complaints? Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me, and you said, The thing that you told us is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and officers of your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Here are the cases between your brothers. And judge righteously between a man and his brother or the stranger who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. 
The case that is too hard for you, bring to me and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. And then again, in Deuteronomy 16, 18 to 20, Moses is telling them what they need to do with their judges whenever they get into the promised land. And it says, you shall appoint judges and officers in your gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And then one more, Leviticus. This is one of the laws that Moses gives them while they're in the wilderness. Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. So he is setting up their entire court system at this moment. He's saying, this is how we're going to handle our courts. I'm going to appoint judges, men that I believe are trustworthy and will be good at this job, men that will not take bribes from the rich or have pity on the poor, but will judge each case in a fair way. Everyone has the same laws And everyone must obey the laws, no matter their situation. And it is your job to make sure that you know the laws and that you administer justice when the people come before you. And these men would have to be men that Moses trusted in order for him to feel comfortable giving up control of his job, right? Because he's been doing this himself this entire time. And so in order for him to be able to be like, okay, I can give that to somebody else, he has to trust them. So that's their first requirement. The second thing is that they have to be impartial. They cannot be partial to poor or rich. They cannot be partial to anyone according to that person's circumstances. Their job is to go by the letter of the law. So I want to know if this sounds like a familiar system to you. Because when I read this, this sounded like a very familiar system to me, like the way that the United States has set up their judicial system. We have lower courts and then state courts and then ultimately a Supreme Court, just as they did over fifties and hundreds and thousands and so on until the case is too difficult for them. And then they bring it to Moses, which is the way we do whenever our case is too difficult for us. We bring it to the Supreme Court. Also, judges are supposed to be impartial. They are not supposed to be taking into account anything but what the law says. That's why their feelings on the matter shouldn't weigh in. Their opinions about what they think should happen. That's not how our government is set up. It's set up where the legislature makes the laws and the judges are just determining what the law says and who broke it and what's going to happen in that case. Now, later, we'll also see that they also have what we would have like a jury. So that's also something that they do later on. But at this moment, God is showing us how to judge what a judge should be like, what justice looks like. 
And justice is not partial. That's what he says. Because if you are partial to one side because of their circumstance, then you would be impartial to the other side. And that would not be justice. So the law has to be given to everyone in exactly the same way. And every person has responsibility. Rather, they have difficult circumstances or they are have wonderful circumstances. They are not supposed to manipulate the system if they have a lot of money. And they are also not supposed to give themselves a free pass to do whatever they want because they're in a difficult situation. The judges are supposed to be able to set themselves apart from their feelings on those matters and just go by the letter of the law. And God is literally setting up his nation at this point. And if this is the way that he set his nation up, this is what God says is justice. This is how God says that people should be judged. It seems like this is something that we should be paying attention to. And we'll be talking about that in lessons to come whenever he does begin to set up their legislative branch, their laws, and maybe these should be some of the same types of laws that we have, which much of them are. But anyway, I think that's a very interesting thing of how they set up their court system. Now, the last thing that I want us to focus on today is this advice that Jethro was giving to his son-in-law. He's with Moses for a very small amount of time and realizes this is never, ever going to work. You are spreading yourself too thin. This is too much for you. You're not going to be able to handle this, and it's not going to work long term. And so he gives his son-in-law a bit of advice. And I think that this is important for us today because sometimes we are like Moses. I don't think that this was Moses's long-term plan either, really. I don't think he had time to think of a long-term plan. All he was doing is just, he woke up in the morning and met the need of one person and then another and then another and then another until all of a sudden it's bedtime. And As a mom, I can completely relate to that because when you have young kids or you just have kids and a job or whatever, I stayed at home with my kids and being here all day, every day, it just seemed like one thing after the other. And sometimes, you know, you just get up in the morning and you start breakfast and then one child after the other is having, mom, I need this, mom, I need that. And then I notice, okay, food's ready. Oh, I got to go tend to that. And it's just constant one thing after the other that you have to do. And at some point, you know, mid-afternoon, you're like, I haven't even eaten any food because you've just been on the go this whole time. And then you look around and you're like, not only have I not eaten, but I've been busy all day and I don't have a clue what I've really even done. It doesn't look as though I've done anything. And then you might go try to get a bite to eat or something like that. And then again, some need arises and you have to go tend to it. And then the cycle starts all over again until you just fall into bed at night and wake up in the morning to do it all over again. And it seems that's what is happening to Moses. It's just he wakes up and someone needs something, and he tends to it, and then it's just another person and another person and another person until it's bedtime. And that does make for an overwhelming day, and you do not really get accomplished what you need to get accomplished whenever you're just meeting one need after the other, and you don't have any real plan. 
So not only was he going to get burnt out on this, but he wasn't going to be an effective leader because of two reasons. One, because he's spread too thin. And so when you're spread too thin, you're not going to do any job efficiently. And, and the other is just because he really doesn't have time to do the most important thing because he's meeting the immediate need and not thinking long term. And his real job is to lead the people as a whole. He's supposed to be, because he is the one directly communicating with God, he's supposed to be explaining the laws and the ways of God to the people as a whole. And he's completely neglecting that because he's just talking to people one-on-one all day long. And so Jethro is like, you know what? This job can be done by someone else. You need to hand this off. Because your real important job is leading the people in God's ways collectively. And you're not able to do that, number one, because you're doing this. And number two, you're going to get completely burnt out doing it this way. You need way more help. One person cannot handle this for very long at all. And so, again, I can completely relate to that. And I just wonder how many of you also can relate to that. But also in knowing this, there's a couple of things that happen. One is you don't even have time to stop and think, right? And so you're just going through the motions of the day, meeting the needs that have to be met. And it sometimes takes a person from the outside to come in and be like, hey, this is not sustainable. You're wearing yourself out. You need to make a plan. And either they can make a plan like Jethro did, or at least just get you to step back for five seconds and make a plan for how to make things long-term work better. And immediately at that very moment, that may feel like more time than you have, more mental energy than you have. But we really do need to do that. We need to step away whenever we're just going through the motions of the day and say, how can I make this run more efficiently? What can I delegate to someone else so that I can do the job that I only can do myself? Because we cannot do all things And when we spread ourselves too thin, what ends up happening is we halfway do everything or we completely neglect certain things because they're not in our face at this moment, but they actually are very, very important things. And we don't need to allow ourselves to do that. And so we do need to take a step back and stop and think for a moment, order our priorities. What is the most important thing now and long term that needs to get done? What can I only myself really need to do? And what can I delegate to other people? It's a great thing that Moses was willing to delegate because sometimes that's also a difficult thing. We don't want to let go of control. We want to say, oh no, I'm the one that does it best. But here's the thing. Are you really doing it best whenever you're doing all of this stuff and you're spread too thin? I mean, because Moses was not doing his entire job well because all he was doing is meeting the needs of the day and he was completely neglecting the big picture. And most likely we are doing the same thing by controlling every single aspect of the day ourselves and not giving over a little bit of that control to others so that we can focus on the more important things. So we need to be humble enough and willing to listen to advice of others, especially 
if we can't think for ourselves right now because we're too overwhelmed, we need to be able to go to someone else if they don't come to us and say, hey, I need help. Like, tell me what you see from the outside of a better way for me to handle this because I'm overwhelmed and this isn't going to work. But also listening to others when they do come to us, being willing after we hear what they have to say to give over a little bit of that control because truly having all the control, even if we are the best person for the job, we are not going to be the best person for the job if we can't do all the jobs well. And so we need to order our priorities just a bit and give a little bit of whatever we can give to other people. Think, who can I trust to do this? If I give them the instructions like Moses did, this is how you need to judge, then can I trust them with this job? And then they can still come to you if they need help, but at least it's off your plate. You can stop thinking about it 24-7, focus on something else, and trust that they've got this unless they come to you. That is such a relief when you're able to do that. And so... Maybe think about that today if you happen to be in an overwhelming situation where you're just going through the motions. What can I delegate? Who can I trust to do this? Give them specific instructions as to how you want things done and then trust them with that and you focus on the things that you feel are important for only you to do and make sure that you're not just doing the things that are immediately right in front of you at this moment and neglecting the big picture long-term things because we have a tendency to do that whenever that is in our face. So I think we can all take a little lesson from Moses's father-in-law. Honestly, I think he was very caring in the way that he delivered this because he seems to have Moses's best interest at heart. He's not just coming in saying, you know, Uh, Yeah, that's a dumb idea. You don't need to be doing that. Listen to these words. If someone said this to you, if someone came to you and said this, would it not be a little comforting if you were overwhelmed? He says, the thing that you're doing is not good. You and these people will surely wear yourselves out. This thing is too much for you. You aren't able to do it yourself. Listen here, I have a better way. What about doing it this way? Do you think that would work better? This is too much for you. So. If you're in a situation like that today, then let Jethro talk to you. Let him say to you, hey, you're going to wear yourself out. This is too much. You can't do everything on your own. You need to delegate. When you hear it like that, yeah, it might be a little difficult, might take a little bit of time, but you know that's the right thing to do. It's too much for you. It's too heavy. You need to put some of this down. Give some of this to someone you trust. So. Those are my words to you today through the words of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Next week, we will talk about Israel at Mount Sinai. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review. Leave me comments wherever you're listening. If you want to email me, my email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day. Thank you.